Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 31, which begins with our Earth friends realizing what they just did and ends with Jane agreeing that this strange man yelling at the sky just might need a hospital. Uh, joining us this week, uh, today and every day this week, we have Jay Shepard, the owner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Location Scout. Uh, welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Us too, us too. And uh, I know you picked these minutes particularly because this is the hospital that we're going to be seeing some minutes in and stuff yeah. like that. So tell us a bit about what uh, the Location Scout is and kind of what your interest in, in these locations is. So MCU Location Scout uh, started as a Google map and a Twitter account, and just doing some write-ups on a uh, site that I uh, make movie reviews and do other posts on called RetroZap.com. And uh, sort of just became a way for me to look at the Netflix shows. I wanted to understand a little bit more about the place they were filmed, since I knew they all actually were filmed in New York City and and the environs around there. And I kind of wanted to see what I could find by just watching the show and then utilizing Google Maps. And since then, I've, I've I live near New York. I'm like three hours away in, in Maryland here. And uh, so I've gone up a couple times to kind of drive around. But uh, yeah, I am trying to make a repository of the filming locations and in-universe locations of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the movies uh, to the TV shows. And um, so I keep meticulous notes and, uh, you know, see what other people have done and say, maybe that's not quite right and look up stuff and just, yeah, use Google Maps and try to nail all this stuff down for, for fun. It's a great website. I love, like I said, being able to find exactly where Steve's plane went down in the first Avenger. <laughs> and uh, as we said, because these minutes we have, we're going to go through a couple of different locations. Uh, we'll definitely be talking, uh, really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that uh, and awesome. so how they pick these places and stuff like that. And we'll get into all that in just one moment. Thor has finally made it back to Midgard, a.k.a. Earth. We're going to be talking about this over in our Discord chat room this week. We'd love to have you get in on the conversation with us. We have a growing group of Marvel fans just waiting for you to join the conversation in our Discord server. Head to truestory.fm slash Minute and click on the Discord link. So we start out kind of watching the same 30 seconds that we've seen before in terms of leading up to that question that took us back into all the flashbacks from Jane of, you know, where did he come from? What was it like for you all, like kind of watching this, this scene now a second time now that we know everything we do from those 20 minutes about Thor? Well, it's an interesting um, rehashing of the moment, I guess uh, I'll say, because it's we're getting more detail than we did before. I mean, it's interesting because the crash itself, like they they kind of squeeze that down to kind of just in shorthand, give us a sense of where we were again. But now that we're back, it's like everything is much better lit and we can actually see who this person is that she's looking at now instead of kind of the mysterious shadow figure that we had at the beginning. And, and you know, earlier we didn't have that, you know, 10 second stare between 
Thor and Jane as they kind of looked into each other's eyes. And it was just, it was very short and the whole thing was brief. And now we actually get that connection. And so I actually kind of appreciate that we are seeing it again, but now we're getting a little more kind of, we have a, a more emotional investment with it because we know who this person is now. And so I, for me, I, I think that it was effectively done. Typical film timeline kind of stuff where they kind of cheat you in the first viewing of it. And then when you come back, it looks like exactly like you saw it before, but it's not. Right. Yeah. You have new information. Now you're understanding where they're coming from. And it's really great when you see it. And so one of the first thing they do is they uh, jump out of the vehicle, which is a Pinsgauer which we're going to talk about in one second. But Jay, I want to first by asking, have you ever done any research into kind of like where the vehicles from these shows wind up? Or is that uh, outside <laughs> of... Because like, I've seen oh, the actual DeLorean from Back to the Future, but I've no one's ever told me where the Pinsgauer wound up. <laughs> no, I, uh, I do not. Though when I do some of my write-ups, I do not like just to say, you know, the gray car or the blue van or whatever. So I did find that there is an internet movie database for cars on yeah. the web. I think it's called the Internet Movie Car Database. Somebody's already kind of done this. That's right. If I can find it on the internet, I don't really like to redo something somebody else has done. Nobody was doing like a straight, just MCU filming location site. You know, it was always mixed in with other stuff. But I, And I'm not necessarily a car guy myself, mm -hmm. so... Well, I think one of us may have looked at that website a bit. Andy, do you want to tell us a bit about this Pinsgauer? <laughs> There, yeah, there's that site. There's the Internet Movie Firearms Database. Uh, there's, there's, there are so many of these. I think, I think we had at one point referenced one for like uh, aircraft or other flying vehicles. So yeah, <laughs> people love pinpointing very specific things, and it's very helpful that they exist because it allows us to have a resource to kind of dig into these sorts of things. Um, yes, we are looking at this, uh, this Pinsgauer uh, from 1971. Uh, it's the Steyr, Steyrpuch. I guess is how you pronounce that. Uh, Pinsgauer, it's a high-mobility all-terrain vehicle. You know, I mean, they're great, and, and they, they're very high off the ground, so that, I mean, we've seen them driving through all over the desert so far, and so it makes sense that they're they're up so high because you need that, but they're, they're a vehicle that had uh, been made in Austria, and they were very popular with the military for a long time. And uh, but yeah, it, for for purposes of things like this, it makes sense for these scientists to to say, hey, let's get one of these things that we can then use and adapt for our research that we're doing out in the New Mexico desert. It's one of those things where I want to dive deep and try to think about the, the significance of it and the German scientist who's with them. And but then also think that it may have just been that Kenneth Branagh said, OK, get me the closest vehicle that rides pretty high that a scientist might use. And this was yeah. what they had on the lot somewhere in New Mexico. Right. Although and then I would say he's a Swedish scientist, not a, not oh, a, that's, correct. Uh, that's, correct. that's yeah. right. But, but I mean, it is fair to say, I mean, it is an incredibly modified vehicle. Like they've done mm. a lot of work on this particular uh, vehicle to, uh, to adapt it to all the different science things that Jane is doing. You know, we've seen on the roof of the, vehicle earlier that she, when she pops out that she has something attached there uh there's things on the sides all over the interior so it's very much adapted for specifically her use as a scientist very much like the uh, ghostbusters tweaked out their um hearse ambulance ambulance hearse <laughs> <laughs> yeah From, right uh, the yeah. first film with all the extra you know gadgets and and hoo-ha and stuff like that and and things that i have seen uh, of course for uh, like the afterlife trailer with even more little things that they've put into the vehicle by that point oh nice yeah 
I can definitely see that. And I, although I would say that unlike the, the Ghostbusters vehicle, I have seen people who have created their own versions of those uh-huh. as as just, you know, great kind of fan cars that they drive around in. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the Pinsgauer, if this particular vehicle yeah. is quite uh, at the same <laughs> level of people saying, I want to I want to get my own and retrofit it to look just like Jane's. <laughs> you know, if someone did, they'd probably have free admission to every Comic-Con for the rest of time. So, you know, <laughs> probably figured out. So so they get out and now we get this like long exchange of looks between Jane and Thor. And I I I think we had it in the the first time we saw the scene but certainly it wasn't as as focused on. My first guess is that Jane is just looking at his horrible eyebrows, but it's probably not what we're going for here. <laughs> what what do you think is actually happening with both of those characters as they're as they're gazing at, into each other's eyes here? I I was thinking the eyebrows to start as yeah. well. <laughs> uh, I got to say that is the one pain point for me in revisiting this movie is the fact that they bleached his facial hair so much. Oh, um, yeah. It's 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 painful to look at. Check out the minutes we did with Ashley Coffin a few weeks ago. She's a super fan and also a professional beautician. She had a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. Well, and it's to the point where, like, his beard looks like artificially brown because his eyebrows are so light and like did did they darken his beard like it just it throws me off every time i look at him because none of it ends up looking right because of that decision that they made which is just it's such a strange decision yeah okay okay but i made an offhand joke i actually do want us to talk about what do you actually think they're talking about as they look at each other yeah well and, and but it just just to tie into this whole thing because i think darcy has a great line right before this where she says whoa does he need cpr because i totally know cpr <laughs> and i think that's such a great line one because it speaks so well of the character that darcy has become but also it speaks to kind of like this this very attractive man that is like laying on the ground here not the typical sort of person you would expect kind of like stumbling around seemingly drunk in the middle of the desert and so I think it throws them all that this is actually a, an attractive person who looks like he's kind of got things together. Uh, and uh, and so I think that there's an element there. But also then I think especially when Thor and Jane look into each other's eyes. Now, perhaps it's just because of the comics and we need to have this connection between these two characters. But I don't know. I just I, I like this sense of them feeling that connection between the two of them as they look into each other's eyes. Like literal star-crossed lovers here at this point. Oh, just yeah. Absolutely. The fact that yeah. He has fallen from the sky uh, shortly before. Yeah, and I, I do wonder with that Darcy line, if maybe in one of the first drafts of a script, she would say, like, does he need mouth-to-mouth? And then they decided that was just way too on the nose, and so maybe CPR <laughs> or something like that. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people would voluntarily volunteer for that. So, so then he kind of gets to his feet, and he starts, you know, demanding, hammer, hammer. And and uh, Darcy responds, of course, we can, we can tell you're hammered. And I just... We've been talking uh, over every minute about how we've sort of set the movie in two different worlds, the world of Earth and the scientists, and then a lot of time uh, on Asgard with the, you know, neo-gods as as people on Earth would see them. To me, this was such a great way of kind of establishing that cultural clash of he's saying something that in his context makes total sense, but to Darcy, she just thinks he's talking about being drunk. That's true. The um, the division that we see in the film is the fact that Thor is also at the kind of uh, a various crux of those types, uh, you know, being able to put his feet in multiple worlds, because here he is on Earth, um, where, you know, he is seen as as a god. But, you know, we had just seen him, I mean, however many minutes ago, we saw him uh, in Jotunheim, 
where you know he's getting his butt kicked a little bit uh, as as he's working through uh, the fight with the Frost Giants. So it's it sets up a lot of perspective, I think, for the film. And um, I, I know uh, some of my friends feel that Thor is you know, one of the the weaker films in the MCU um, and possibly even from that first uh, phase. But to me, and, and I've always been a fan of Thor from the comics. Uh, I started reading Thor during Walt Simonson's run back in the in the mid 80s, uh, which when he was doing his uh, Ragnarok cycle and the the Shakespearean level of elevation of heightened Everything in this film, of course, being directed by Kenneth Branagh, just it, it puts it all in sort of an operatic tone, it, right? It, it's it's where you know people now you can look at all these different MCU films that all fit in different niches, and Thor does actually have a niche, right? It's entirely different tonally than all the other films from from the first uh, phase. So I think there's a good reason you know to have have these characters looking at each other that way because i mean they're both strange to each other yet they're both attracted to each other and speaking to kind of the whole kenneth branagh shakespearean element right i mean it feels very much as you said the star-crossed lovers this is i mean to a certain extent our romeo and juliet right we have these two characters who come from completely different places uh you know (laughs) certainly in the comics it's definitely more so where odin gets very upset that thor is interested in a a woman from midgard and so that kind of creates that you know the two families sort of thing and so there's a really interesting element there but it's it is also that instant attraction that you have here and connection that does feel operatic as you were saying so there's there is that element that that plays uh i think well in this particular context and i i I really like that brana found a way to kind of bring it out here you know, another uh, genre of movie that I'm probably not going to talk about much on on this podcast is rom-coms. I love me a good rom-com. A rom-com is based around the meat cute. And I hit him with a car is a, you know, a meat cute <laughs> that's been established before. So, yeah, that's a, a great setup because and in some ways that I think you're right. This movie is a couple of different genres. One of them is kind of that because I'm thinking this is before Captain America came out. There's a romance that already is happening in Hulk, and Iron Man and Pepper kind of have their thing, but this is the first real movie where the romance is a key part of the movie. So yeah, it kind of makes sense that to make it an actual meet-cute. Yeah, we've, with the Earth-bound portions, at least in the first and second acts, do have that rom-com style, typified with them with the quirky best friend, um, you know, and the the light, more lighthearted moments, right? Because when you go back to Asgard uh, and and all the flashback pieces and everything like there, you know, it's it's much again operatic. It's much heavier handed, um, you know, larger than life. And you know, here on Earth, we're just in this little desert. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Well, and it also fits with kind of the whole fish out of water story, right? Not only is it kind of that meet cute here in the rom-com, but it's also with the character who just, I'm not from this place. And and it allows her to kind of, in that same rom-com style, she's the one who's also going to kind of help that person figure out how to make sense of this crazy new world that they found themselves in. Especially because, one, I mean, one of the basic tropes of the fish out of water is people think you're crazy or you're drunk because you're ranting about things that make total sense (laughs) to you. But... To them, not so much. And yeah. so then we get another series of reaction shots from from all four of the people who are here, Jane, Darcy, Eric, and Thor. I want to kind of go through them and talk about what, what do you think each is thinking? Like, Jane, I think we already are, have, have kind of talked a little bit about. She 
she has her feelings about him, but now in this moment, it seems she's just focused on the 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 ground and the rune she's about to talk about. What do you, what do you get out of what you think Jane is kind of thinking in that moment? She kind of, I guess you could say the spell is broken, right? As he kind of passes out again. And that's when she's like, where, where did he come from? And he starts stumbling around. And that is when she, you know, lowers her light and she realizes, yeah, there's this runes, these, this circle of runes that appeared like burned into the ground almost. And that is like, it's like her science brain. And I, I think it's interesting with the character, the way that they kind of crafted her, she is so focused on her scientific aspects of things, especially in this scene, as we'll see play out, that everything else drops away. And we saw this earlier where she's, you know, Darcy is just like trying to turn away from the, quote, atmospheric disturbance. And, and Jane is like grabbing the steering wheel. No, we're going to drive right into that thing. She very much is focused on just on on accomplishing her science and and is the, of the mindset to just kind of drop everything else in favor of that science stuff. And so that's that's definitely an interesting element that we have with her here. Right. And I think she like puts her arm back a little bit just to kind of keep Eric from stepping in as, of course, as Thor is wandering around, yeah. kicking up the dust <laughs> in the middle of the circle and everything like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically what I see as well as that she's, it, it's interesting to see this cute guy that she accidentally hits with the car, but then, oh my gosh, wait, wait, wait. This is like, this is going to make my, you know, my paper. Right. Uh, I'm going to get famous from this. Um, sorry that I hit this guy, but let's focus on what's really important here. Yeah, and I love how that's kind of bookended by, you know, Eric saying uh, he got out of the hospital and she's like, yeah, he's fine. I, I don't <laughs> right. think it's because of like genuine concern for him because all she cares about is this thing. And I kind of love that for her because I love that she's not presented as just the like perfect hearted. She cares about everyone. Like she's like, Okay, hit the guy with the car, but he's okay. Like, I I just care about the science now. Then she's like, all right, you can go. I'll stay. Next minute, we'll talk about that line in particular a bit because uh, she doesn't stay. Yeah. And, and then Eric, I mean, he, I, I think that he just, I mean, he has largely seemed fairly confused <laughs> for the last few minutes. Like when they're chasing this atmospheric disturbance, he's just kind of sitting in the back seat, just kind of looking a little like dumbfounded. I think largely surprised that's my sense of Eric ever since, uh, you know, Jane brought him here and he's to, to look at this atmospheric disturbance that doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden, a totally different atmospheric disturbance happens. He seemed very confused about like what's going on. Like, I, I think that, you know, his world view might be broken a little bit as far as like everything that's happening. Like none of this is making sense now. Right. And so I think that's an interesting thing for him, especially as somebody, as we'll learn, who kind of in the story kind of comes from the heritage that that would have known about Thor. And so there's an interesting thing about him. It, it, it starts making me think, I wonder if he's like having anything like any bells starting to ring in the back of his head. Like, why is some of this stuff making sense to me? Or he, he seems to be OK with it. Like in the long run, like he's the one that has the least problems with it, as as you'll see, you know, as you move through the film later. Um, so, yeah, maybe right now he is kind of processing this and, and hearing the the things that Thor is saying and kind of starting to put two and two together at this point. And in some ways, that makes sense that he's even more confused, because if you're just looking at a whole bunch of evidence and have no idea where it leads, that you're, you're going to be confused. But if you're leading the evidence that might point to the existence of the childhood myths you heard and that idea seems completely impossible and she's rejecting it like that's even more confusing in some way because it's like he has a conclusion and i i like that he's the one who is like we, we got to get him to a hospital 
because to me, that's both he cares about the science, but he's maybe a little bit more of an experienced scientist than Jane. So he's able to still keep his eye on the big picture. But also that, you know, in a moment of total confusion, like here's one thing he can understand and can control is we just possibly hurt this person. We should take care of him. The the grown up of the group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's your take on what's going through Thor's head in this, in, in this kind of last half of the minute? I think he's just upset. <laughs> I mean, he was all of a sudden just cast out really like it's like your dad tells you go to your room and then you're just in your room right it's like there you know you can't even protest in that and he's obviously a little uh dazed um you know as we see throughout uh, a number of these minutes here he is he he can be affected by things you know you think thor and you know it's like you can you can smack him with a with a club and like, he'll be okay. But obviously, you know, he, he did get hit by the car. He gets hit by the car a couple times yeah. throughout the film. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's probably just upset and hurt. Um, and again, just really confused as to what's going on. Why, why would my father cast me out? So he's been stripped of all of his powers too, right? I mean, he no longer has the strength. And so when he got hit by the car, that was probably the first time that he actually got hit by something where he kind of felt it like it actually, you know, really dazed him. And I think that that's an interesting thing because as we'll see over these next few minutes, he still is feeling like he's as powerful as he should be, but he's slowly realizing, why don't I have the strength that I used to have? Why don't I have the ability to handle this? Just like Superman 2. Yeah. Yeah. Very exactly. much, very much yeah. the same kind of thing. And, and I love, Jay, the way you phrase it in terms of, like, sent to your room. Because, yeah, I, you know, I can remember when that happened. My father might have said, like, I'm disappointed in you. I'm Here's the thing. Here's what you did wrong. I want you to go think about all this. But the first few minutes, I'm just in my room. I'm not thinking about it at all. I'm just like, I'm angry I'm in my room. Yeah, and, you're in a huff. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. to me, that's exactly what I got from here. Like, Thor has no shame whatsoever. He's not internalized anything that Odin said. <laughs> yeah, and the way he says, Heimdall, like, Heimdall, I know you can hear me. Open the Bifrost. It's like he thinks this is all a prank. And in just a minute, they're going to yeah. say, oh, we're just kidding. Thor, of course not. Yeah. Lesson learned. Right. <laughs> exactly. And he's not a party Thor anymore, so. Yeah. No. Right. Well, it's funny because, like, in in I, I suppose there had been instances. I I don't know. I'm just make, I'm assuming this, but where royalty, like they had actually for whatever reason cast a child out. Like they said, you know, you're not. I mean, I assume it came from somewhere where you know somebody was not living up to their uh their you know stat stature as a part of the family, or maybe you know, I certainly in the case where you know views differed and one person was believing one thing and one was the other and they would cast out a family member uh, but in the process of getting cast out in those sorts of situations like they've got to hop on a horse and they you know they have to kind of go through the whole process of leaving the country or whatever the case may be in the case of this it's like he gets cast out he gets hit you know blasted into the bifrost by mjolnir we don't know how long the bifrost trip is it's you know it could be a very short trip it could take you know minutes who knows but regardless it is suddenly like you know he's thrust into an entirely different situation he doesn't know he's going to midgard he just knows he was kind of blasted through the bifrost and ended up here and so i can imagine like kind of the general kind of cloudy confusion that he has here it's like i like everything just literally changed and i i need to get a sense of where i am because i just don't have a handle on it at this moment and he may have a concussion 
And he could have a concussion, right? Which is something, again, he wouldn't be used to because, you know, he's gotten thrown around by frost giants and not had any problem. (laughs) You know, so I think that's about where we're going to wrap up. We, Jane, as we talked about, says, you know, she recognizes that he's in the hospital, that he should go to the hospital, but she still doesn't want to leave. You know, you go, I'll stay. And then he starts to just speak a sentence that we'll talk about in the next minute. Is there any other kind of last points from this minute that either one you wanted to bring up? Just that, yeah, it's like the first time that he's, he's now focusing on them other than kind of like, the dreamy look at Jane when when he kind of it's almost like this who's this angel standing here sort of thing it's like he almost doesn't remember that there are other people here and so it is that very last moment here in this minute that we'll talk about largely in the next one when suddenly he like turns his attention to them and and so it's uh, yeah there's I, I like that the fact that it's like that moment and I guess in a weird way that does speak to as we've been talking about Thor quite a bit over the course of the film like he doesn't recognize anybody who's not like princely or kind of of royal status as somebody to pay attention to, right? They're just there as to point to you, you know, and that's kind of very much the, the way he is here. Like it, it, from his perspective, these are, these may as well all be servants. To right? put it in modern language, he's being very much a Karen right now. <laughs> Apologies to any Karens in our audience. <laughs> I like that every opportunity that the filmmakers got uh, uh, with Zach Stance and Don Payne, the screenwriters, oh, and Ashley Miller. They gave Darcy something funny to do to really make her stand out. But it also, it's not just funny lines for funny lines' sake. It really does provide uh, character moments for her, um, which is why I think she has become such a fan favorite character. I mean, the the CPR line that you mentioned earlier, I think, is a is a great example, and we'll see some other ones here in in the in the next uh, few minutes that uh, we're talking about this, and you know, which is why it's fun seeing her showing up on um, one one division, yeah, and and on what if even so, yeah. no, I think it's so true. I, one of the reasons why I was most excited to go back and do this is because she was, I thought, one of the real breakout stars of the one division TV show. And it made me really want to go back and kind of see her beginnings as well. So it's fun to see that they're, they're treating her like the quirky best friend, but they're not having her just say whatever's relevant in the moment. She's a bit of an exposition machine. And we'll get to that in, uh, in a couple minutes, in a couple of days, because <laughs> I think it's great how they handle it. But also, yeah, she has a fully formed character in a way that I think really stands out. Yeah. Well, great. We have so much more to talk about, obviously, in the next couple of minutes out over the next couple of days. I'm really looking forward to that. Jay, for people who are hearing about you for the first time, they want to know more, how can they find you and your work? Well, you can check out mculocationscout.com, which uh, catalogs all of the filming locations and real-world locations or in-universe locations for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including the TV shows on Disney+. Plus. Um, I got as much as I could for uh, Shang-Chi in there uh, by taking some clips from uh, different trailers. It's actually surprising how much of the uh, non- studio work was actually in the trailers uh i also have a series of podcasts over at retrozap.com uh part of our superhero suite of podcasts including the tight uh, titular show superhero suite and uh our other show that we're starting back up here in a couple weeks uh scarlet velocity a flash podcast and i also do some articles over there on um sci-fi movies called sci-fi saturdays and then through october i did uh the um 31 days of horror which are uh bookmarked there you can check those out awesome well great stuff to to look into i'm i'm excited to hear you did some of shang chi because after we're done recording i may go check out uh if you figure out the question of where talo is in regard to kunlun 
because I have no idea. And I've been very curious for a while. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Annie, as always, thank you so much. And to all of our fans, thank you so much. We've got a really exciting week ahead of us. Have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music